and favourite. Ding! <laughs> now you're in trouble. <laughs> Welcome back to Cerebrivore. I, today we're doing a bonus episode where we're answering some listener calls. The panel today is BJ, the Arcane Alienist, Carl of the Geomologist Presents, and myself, Jason of Nerds RPG Variety Cast. At the top of the show, we heard from Colin Green of the Spike Pit podcast and YouTube channel. And Colin, we very much appreciate you favoring us and look forward to any future, you know, calls or messages you want to send us. How are you two guys doing today? Doing pretty good. Doing well. Excellent. Yeah. So the first call we have, or first series of calls, I should say we have, are from Joe Salvador of Raven Guy Games. And folks probably know him from Elder Tales, which is like an OSR based Cthulhu game, Lovecrafting game. It's like if you're going to play Call of Cthulhu, but use more OSR style rules. And he's developing a sword and sorcery game called Reaver that's going to be really cool. Hopefully that'll be in the market soon. But he's got some thoughts on religion RPGs. So I'm going to play these and then we'll see what the panel here thinks. Hey, fellas, just calling back about uh, your discussion on religions. Uh, I thought it was a great conversation, man. I think you guys had some interesting ideas, and I, I've really kind of been thinking about it for a couple of days now. Um, you know, I had some thoughts while I was listening, and I wasn't really sure how to, you know, put it together. Um, so I'll just say, like, you know, I don't really use deities directly in my games very much. Most of my games are low fantasy or sword and sorcery. So it doesn't really fit. Um, I like them to be a bit more mysterious. I let them to, you know, I let them act through uh, omens and dreams. I think you dis you discuss dreams a little bit, signs, <clears throat> um, so that you know the believers who see these things will certainly they will see the the workings of the gods. Right, uh, mass message one. Yeah, so without using the deities directly in the game as, you know, being their own mouthpieces, uh, I like to use temples and cults and different sects of, of religions to, to fill that kind of role, right? Like, and really, I mean, if you look at just actual history, whether it's Christianity or Buddhism or whoever, you know, whatever religion, um, the different ideas on how that religion should be practiced are just, they create all kinds of strife, right? So whenever you have competing temples to the same god or, uh, you know, new ideas on how to worship a, an existing deity, that creates amazing role-playing opportunities. Um, they make great, great adversaries. Um, and then, uh, you know, it's awesome for PCs as well. Yeah, so for PCs, um, you know, it, it helps give that player direction and uh, it can really help them, if they're willing to buy in, it can help them really uh, invest, you know, into the setting and uh, get them involved, basically, in the, in, the, in the world at large, so to speak. Um, I mean, I like playing clerics. The way I approach it, though, I don't, I don't think that the cleric is the normal priest. Most priests in a temple are just, you know, lay priests. They have no magical power. Uh, they, they 
They oversee ceremonies. They give alms to the poor. They take care of the temple. They scribe books. The cleric player character or NPC is the fanatic, the, the zealot who the god chooses to lend his power to or her power to. One of the things. Okay, so that was the first series of calls. Joe has some more calls, but let's answer these first, I think. I, there's some really good ideas here in the idea of competing churches of the same faith, right? So your priest might be at odds with a, with another temple, you know, in a neighboring town or something like that. I mm -hmm. mean, that's definitely real-world stuff we could pull into our games. Right. With, I mean, just look at, the, uh, look at the history of the Catholic Church in the medieval times, and, you know, they had the era where they were Two different people, guys claiming to be the Pope, one in Rome and one in France. Uh, um, you guys ever either read The Name of the Rose or seen the, the film version of The Name of the Rose? There's, there's a, it's set against a backdrop of the, <laughs> the Benedictines and the Franciscans and the other, I can't remember, I think there's one other, they're, you know, they're calling each other heretics. And I think the movie plays it up a little more than it, than it exists in the book. But um, yeah, you, you don't even have to go outside of one religion to see that there are schisms and, and uh, fractions and factions and stuff like that. I think Forgotten Realms even does that. And there's the Shar, who's a, the goddess of night, but then there's a, a an evil goddess, but then there's a like a, a heretical faction of, um, they, 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 they change the name a little bit and they're good, but they still, their clerics still get spells. So it's like, well, where, where are these, where are these heretics getting their clerical spells from? Right. And yeah, no, that's, or yeah. Have you done things like that in the past, Carl? Um, no, no. I mean, I think, unfortunately, I think a lot of, I mean, that's a, that's a, a rare example. I think that BJ uh, cites in, in normally it's right. It's like temple from one God versus temple of another God in most of the games, right? You rarely do have like the, uh, the ability to have like a, you know, a monolithic religion, but then with different factions, I think, I, I like what he what I think uh, Joe referenced in the what Buddhist temple wars is that correct? He, so you could definitely do that like in an Asian adventure style setting. I think actually like the Karator setting, it it was like the the Shikenja were you know unlike a specific priest or a specialty priest in you know AD and D or whatever. Um, there was like they they really say the Shikenja, uh, however you pronounce that, I'm probably pronouncing it wrong but you know kind of worships the whole pantheon and is like a, a, a an intermediary with the lay people for the whole pantheon so but then you would have different sects that come out i mean you even have like temple warriors in in an asian adventures uh game so uh, and and then i mean you could you, you recite the, the the different uh factions in catholicism but you know it's Sunni versus Shiite is, has always been a big thing so you could so i think if you had a world like that you could really use real world religious strife as a touchstone which i think would yeah. be a, a cool thing but it would be it, it wouldn't it, be it, traditional it, right it'd be you know it would be traditional and then with the sword and sorcery i mean that uh, that joe is particularly joe salvatore is particularly fond of you know it's more like a, they're cults right they're different you know cults and you have like the the omens and the the shamans you can interpret the omens and signs and uh so go ahead bj you're gonna say something I would say it continues today. See, like there, you know, there, there's a. I think there's been a recent schism in the 
Presbyterian church. There's one ongoing in the United Methodist Church over different differences about doctrine and you know traditional versus modern approaches to stuff. So right, but you wouldn't even have to have a, a schism per se, right? You could have just a rivalry between your your right. your churches too. You know, right. the, yeah, yeah. The, neither one's necessarily saying the other one's a heretic, as much as they're saying we're the better temple of Apollo, yeah. right, or whatever, right? And, and I think and have that kind of thing that, going on. That's sort of been the uh, again to go back to Forgotten Realms because it's sort of the the default. It's it's become the default for D and D. Generally, is presented as you know there there are some gods that have enmity towards one another, particularly when they have very different alignments. But for most of the part, the good and neutral deities tolerate each other. But there's a competition for devotees. So, so that they they they're they're trying to you know the god with the most worshippers is the most powerful. So even though they tolerate each other and they recognize that hey we have to have a we have to have a goddess of agriculture. <laughs> right. So I don't I don't want Shantae to go anywhere, but I want more worshippers for my you know tier tier. Yeah, agrees that, but he wants more worshippers. Right. His, well, you know, I love that competing temples idea you brought up, Jason, too, because that reminds me of like you know very much you know like. The novel by Ken Follett, The Pillars of the Earth, where each town we need to propose to have the biggest, baddest, most ornate, you know, church. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it definitely is something you could that could be I think that could be a really fun, you know, mini campaign or or addition to make, you know, your real like I think we one of the premises we had in our in our discussion about religion is to make it feel more real for the player and getting like something involved around. An you know an adventure I think would really could really draw players in you know we all yeah. you know it could be a, you know hey hey but hey guys you know I go to the dungeon with you but you know we you know we want to my religion is or as the cleric would say my religion is kind of asking me to do this can you guys help me right so mm-hmm. you could have all sorts of fun adventures with that yeah and and you're not necessarily so you're having this friendly rivalry with the other temple. But you know, if a threat comes up, pretend you'll still work together, right? Right. Still, oh yeah, you could do something yeah. cool like that. So, yeah. But I, I want to. So BJ brought up this idea with the pantheon and and the talk about different guys in the pantheon. And, and one thing we could look at in media today, right now, would be like Moon Knight on Disney. But that actually feeds into the next series of calls from Joe. So I, well, I, I think I, maybe think I we'll still play another those. comment. I have another oh, comment. Okay, go ahead, Joe said because yeah. um, he, he I I like I like what his approach is, and, and we definitely see it. In, Games that he's running that you've had ability to be able to play with them, but I really like that idea of like the gods being subtle. Um, mm-hmm. I mean that you have like omens and signs and an intermediary. I mean, as opposed to, I mean, I know he run, he's running sword and sorcery kind of. Well, it's not really Bronze Age, but then like in contrast, you still have like cults and Bronze Age in like RuneQuest where the gods are very apparent. So you know, it, it, I guess it depends on on what you like in your campaign, but I, I kind of, I prefer the subtlety, you know, I prefer, yeah. um, I prefer this. I do personally. I don't know. What about you guys? Well, I think, I think omens and signs are a way to do it more subtle, to be a little more grounded, but also it's kind of a way for the DM to give clues to, uh, to players who may be kind of getting off in the weeds or, They've 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 missed some of the plot hooks as to what what the adventure's about, and that's just sort of without without railroading them. That's a way to, to the DM through 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 maybe the cleric's deities. So you got to kind of get a vision and you see this and you know 
you feel like your your patron deity is telling you to look for this mm-hmm. particular you know geographical formation or this particular weather pattern or when you see that you'll know you're on the right track yeah he he's mm-hmm. not on this call or on you know in in this panel today but joe richter in the pathfinder game that i'm currently playing with him is wrath of the righteous game he's doing a lot with dreams where you know the character and and they're not necessarily straightforward so you you know some of the dream might be pertinent some of it might not be or whatever but you know using dreams to kind of yeah i think it's a great tool plot hooks and things in the character's heads and push them one other thing that joe said in his calls which i think is 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 interesting is the idea that clerics are not the bog standard priests Mm -hmm. and i think yep D and D, maybe I don't know if it was always that way, but I know we've kind of evolved to the point where there's an expectation of if I can find a temple, there's healing available. Like the idea that yeah. these are just lay priests or acolytes who, you know, perform mundane rituals and, and, and kind of like a, a priest in our in the real world does. Yeah, they're more like to, Templars or warpers, right? Like the clerics. Yeah, the um, cleric. and the, the, the clerics have a, a special. Uh, I, I like that idea, although I think you may get some pushback from players who are very used to the idea of we can make it back to town and get to the temple. We can get some, <laughs> make a donation and get healed up because there's and a lot of the modules do it that way. When there's a ever you know any attendant in any temple or at any shrine is a cleric or a druid. But, um, but that fixes the problem of well, why are why is there disease in the town and why you know if you have these yeah yeah because you know yeah the temple there with all these clerics there why aren't they automatically healing and doing all these good things well they can't because they're not you know it's only the select few that can do or they need a donation yeah but if you look at the fiction that we kind of sometimes draw on for for our ideas like real world based fiction you think about like you like you know fictional stories where you find that there's a secret order of priests that the vatican has that perform exorcisms or that they hunt vampires or they protect, you know, an ancient treasure or something like that. You know, it's not, there are all these orders of priests or types of priests that don't do those kind of things. And you've got priests with a special skill set or a special mandate and they're given extra latitude. To me, that seems like the kind of priest who can say, Hey, I am a very devoted follower of my deity. We're aligned. I, I, when I meditate and pray, I get clear visions or, or, or I can read the omens. And so I don't have to sit in a temple and hear people's confessions and perform marriage ceremonies and things like that. I have latitude to go out in the world and kind of set my own agenda because everything I do is in the, the greater service of, of the deity I worship. And that allows me to live the life of an adventurer. Yeah. Greyhawk does that with like St. Cuthbert. There are different orders mm-hmm. of St. Cuthbert. You, you know yeah. they have the different they wear different colors or whatever and they you know they have different different missions yeah, no, because i think that's a question that comes up a lot of times too is well, why is your cleric where's the home temple and why are they out wandering around when they need to be tending to the sick and and uh but you know well, yeah there's it's a, a reason it's why a curious, the deity right? said you know the world needs heroes and you need to go out and be one of them yeah yeah, I think Hyperborea has like a temple priest subclass too. That you know, if you if your player is very interested in that and, and kind of being involved in sort of the the being the temple priest and not so much the warrior priest who goes out into the wild, they do have that option. I don't know. I've never played that subclass, but it is there. And I guess if they're since they're less martial and more esoteric, well, they mm-hmm. there are some benefits. But but there are mm-hmm. definitely some like obligations, right? So I don't yeah. know. 
and and that could that could be like that's a tough sell sometimes I think uh, you know, for players because they don't want to be tied to one location. You know, yeah. I, I guess it depends on your what story you're trying to tell and and uh, with the, the makeup of your players, right? What they yeah. want to do. Yep. He, he, he also mentioned clerics as being kind of zealots, and I that's it. I, I like that idea very much. That the clerics have this special maybe connection or, or devotion that even other priests don't have. Um, so you can start to see historical figures like Joan of Arc as almost being more of a, well, in this case, maybe a paladin. Um, but uh, the other thing is, uh, I don't know, this may be a whole other discussion. I may have brought this up in, in our previous episode. of It's interesting. I, I've observed this just in 30 plus years of playing D&D since the 80s <laughs> with, 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 with people my age and the kind of people younger and then younger and younger down into now sometimes running games for teenagers. Um, as our society has become more secular, fewer and fewer people have a reference point for how to role play someone who is religious. And it, it's so... I don't know how you address that. And it's just, and that may be a, another topic for another discussion, or it may be getting into more of a charged area. We don't want to open up, but I like the idea of a cleric as a zealot, but I don't know that that many people have, have an idea of how to play a religious zealot, or at least a very devout person the way they might have in 1980. Yeah. Cause you're not, you don't, you, yeah. Cause you don't, I mean, you've got your, what you see in popular media, with evangelistic stuff, you know, particularly your Christian evangelists, things like that. Yeah. But that may or may not actually be what would work, you know, what would be right in the game world, right? Yeah. So, it, yeah. Yeah, it like I'm surprised. Topic. Yeah, I'm surprised, like in Daredevil, how much they they reference this Catholicism, right? Yeah. That's that's very different than I think, you yeah. know, that than other way they treat other other characters in that universe or other characters in general, right? Except yeah. Unless it's a but well, I was just going to say, Moon Knight. They they reference it, the fact is, you know, the Judaism, but they don't go into oh, it, like the depth, like what you see in Daredevil. It's not nearly yeah. Just, you know, they just acknowledge that that's his his mm-hmm. family background. Hmm. Um, yeah. But you know, for Daredevil, his his Catholic face is a core tenet of his character. Yeah, it is right. That's what. Yeah, I guess that BJ is more eloquent in stating that. You know, what I was trying to get out that idea, yeah. but but I, I see it a lot, and I, I think that is honestly uh, rare. In a, in a secular secular world right that that is i wouldn't say promoted it's not like they're ramming catholicism down your throat but it does yeah it's just it does part make of it's part of what makes uh you know murdoch daredevil right matthew murdoch and, daredevil. and in the netflix series it, it gives you one of the all-time greatest daredevil lines where he's in confession he says i'm not asking for forgiveness for what i've done it's what i'm about to do <laughs> yeah yeah but, all right Let's um, but since we're talking about Daredevil, now I tried to segue too early before, but let's segue into that idea of the pantheons, okay. and you know, like I say, like what we see in Moon Knight, you have multiple, you know, multiple gods in that pantheon. Well, in our D and D worlds and our fantasy worlds, the vast majority of the religions are pantheons. They're they're multiple deities. They're not you you know they're not just a single deity. And, and Joe had some comments on that, so I'm going to play Joe's calls and then we can answer those one other thing i i wanted to talk about and and this isn't really an original thought i feel like i've heard this discussed um but it's the idea that you know we approach fantasy religions 
with certain um, ideas about religion ingrained into us already. Uh, and mostly revolving around monotheistic religion and how it is practiced. You know, um, There's only one God. All of the gods are false. There's only one way to practice, that kind of thing. And in the fantasy world, what that usually leads to is that uh, the gods are competing with one another or uh, the different clerics are competing with one another. My god is real, your god isn't. My god's greater than your god or whatever. Um, and I think in the, in the ancient world, that wasn't really the case. And Rome provides a pretty good example of that. The Romans regularly adopted uh, deities from their neighbors, like the Etruscans, from conquered peoples, like uh, Egyptians or Celts, um, just integrated those those deities directly into their own pantheon, either whole cloth, uh, perhaps renaming it, or linking those deities to their own deities. Uh, I think in Tacitus, um, he calls he considers um, Odin uh, linked to Mercury. I'm not sure why. Um, so, I mean, in, in a fantasy world, I think that is something that would, would happen, and, and it would allow people to, normal people, uh, to basically approach whatever deity they think would be most favorable to them uh, to get the assistance that they need. So, yeah, uh, trying to get back to what, I was, what my point was, but, uh, so yeah, if polytheism is the norm in fantasy worlds, there's no reason to believe that commoners or uh, you know, PCs, unless they are clerics or paladins or something, uh, there's no reason to think that they would just uh, only worship one god. They would just visit whatever uh, deity or temple um, they think would be most favorable to them uh, to solve whatever predicament they're in. If they need help with the fields, they go to the fertility deity or whatever. Um, and I, I think uh, I think we could probably see more of that in games. So uh, yeah, I don't know. I get, I need to cut it off here. I'm actually losing my train of thought, like I said, and and uh, I keep getting interrupted. So uh, all the best, man. Cheers. Hey y'all, it's okay. So some great ideas and ruminations yeah. there from Joe. I, I mean, how often do we do that? How often do we have games where, you know, we, we have these pantheons and so you have the multiple deities, but how often are they going and paying respect to each of the different deities as opposed to, you know, just that one particular one the character picks? Mm -hmm. Well, I would say Joe definitely puts his ideas into his games. I would say that you know, he definitely, when I, when in the Reaver game, for example, um, my character who is a shaman, he is he is approached to beseech the ancestors and the spirits to um, to help with various things that ancestors and spirits would help with. You know, whether it's you know farming or moving rocks or you know blessing uh, uh, a pregnant mother or you know, your the health of your your livestock. You know, he he really has dived into that. I think to make to bring out and make the more world more real. So I think that's a that's great that Joe you know, uh, is putting these ideas into place. And I think it makes for a more rich, um, rich world, right? It's a, it's a living, breathing world, um, less vanilla, more, more substance. Although the irony, of course, is vanilla is a hard to get sometimes, you know, 
addition to, <laughs> to your, but uh, you know what I mean? I mean, it's, mm-hmm. uh, so well, yeah, I think it's really cool what Joe does in his it, games. Well, one thing I find interesting is if we, we do this idea, which is kind of like your Greek or Roman idea, right? And, and you've got the, and, and so you have your molded deities that potentially everybody's going to pay respect to. You can do what they've done where, you know, a deity that you, you're, that the character hasn't visited recently might get, you, you could play in that jealousy or that kind of thing. You, you know, those jealousies, we see the, again, we see it all the time in, the, in Greek mythology, right? Right. But, um, you know, so you could potentially get dreams from a deity you haven't visited, you know, they end up being more ominous or whatever. So there's different yeah. ways you could play that up. What, what do you think, PJ? Well, I think one, it's, it's on the DM to use that as window dressing to say, oh, well, you're about to get on a ship. Well, custom is that you go to the temple of the God of the sea or the God of storms and you, you offer a donation and get a blessing on your voyage. Um, uh, you know, and it, not doing that, you might offend that deity and, and have a, a mishap. Um, you know, you're passing through a farming village. There's going to be a shrine to the god of agriculture, you know. Um, you know, and I think I, we may have mentioned this before, too, where, you know, do something real simple like, hey, you know, if you give a gold piece, you've got a plus one bonus to any roll sometime in the next 24 hours just to reinforce that, that the characters believe this and it kind of happens um so i think i think one it's on the like i said it's on the dm to, to to put that in little places here and there pretty regularly just to reinforce that that's the reality of the world that the characters inhabit um and the idea that people will go to different unless you're just a, a zealot an absolute devotee you know, i think i think like in ancient greece i don't know if they did it in rome i think they may have in rome as well but in ancient greece that's how most people were they all the you know you, you, whichever god was relevant to the task or the situation always zeus and then anybody else that <laughs> or the patron of the city but then anybody mm-hmm. else you may need um but then that the, the, there would be these mystery cults of these people who were just mm-hmm. highly devoted to to the one god or goddess and they would have secret rites and secret meetings and their own you know alignment language <laughs> yeah <laughs> secret, and you go to them for the- things like that and you go to them for the special blessings, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the uh, the other idea would be, if particularly if you're, especially if you're a character who's not overly attached to one deity. I mean, it may be that a deity just randomly realizes, hey, here's this adventurer who has a skill set that might be able to do something that would be really important to me. And so I don't necessarily want them to become a lifelong follower of me, but I might give them a little bit of an enticement to, to do something that furthers my agenda, you know, for this adventure or this quest or this phase of their life. And yeah, then, d- definitely. You know, maybe they'll be a follower of me after that, or m- maybe not, but that's more the deity not wanting an adoration, but it's the deity has, I want that gem stolen from a rival God's temple, or I want that artifact recovered from a dragon's war or something like that. And you seem to be the person in close proximity with the best chance of doing it. So. Well, yeah. when that kind of plays in, sorry, I didn't even cut you off. Go ahead. That's it. Oh, okay. That, that kind of plays into the way, and this goes into Joe's first call as well, the idea where the gods are acting, they're interacting with the world through intermediaries, right? And and the PCs potentially be, are going to become one of those intermediaries or like mm. intermediaries, or they could be. And and I like that idea because I, I like that, you know, as opposed to an avatar that got appearing on the 
on the planet. And, you know, at that point now we get in kind of railroad territory or, you know, the characters become sidekicks or something. Right. But if the characters are actually tasked to do these, these things, then they still have, you know, they still have their, um, their agency and and they're doing this, but it's, you know, so I kind of like that kind of thing. I I also really like the idea of, and you could incorporate this easily, easily enough into cities having their own patron deities like like we saw back then but you know so potentially you're you're entering the city you, you might not want to be too spoken if, if if you're you know if the deity that you you worship isn't overly favored in that city right if you have rival cities or or this kind of thing or could cause problems um, i i think there's a lot of fun things you can do with with these ideas incorporating it but it comes back to what bj was talking about earlier you know players have to wanting to get the dm can set this up but the players have to be one to engage in it yeah you, you know and that's the that you have to get bond. yeah and i think you have to condition them you got to give them you know you go to the temple and you get a blessing and then every time they go to the temple they get a blessing so they're, they're going to be like you know this just helps my character i want to go to the temple and get a blessing and then it maybe yeah. it becomes like you know pavlovian like condition <laughs> as you yeah. give characters well, it rewards. becomes one of those but things that's okay. like, i mean i guess <laughs> We're, we're setting out for for the dungeon. Do we have enough arrows? Do we have enough torches? Do we have rations? Have we gone to the, the, the temple? Have we gone to the God temple and we already right? gotten their blessing? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's like, sure. okay, you get your vaccine before you go into the jungle, you know? Yeah, yeah. That's cool. Um, yeah. He mentioned, though, the, us viewing things in terms of monotheism. And this is, this is just kind of a side comment, but I think I'm reminded that <clears throat> when Gary Gygax first started playing D&D with his friends, <clears throat> they kept asking him. The clerics were just servants of the non-specific gods. He never got any more specific than that. And they kept, they kept the players kept saying, "We want real gods. We want real god. You know, we want gods." And so the first two gods he created were kind of just, just almost like a tongue-in-cheek satire. And one of them was Saint Cuthbert, who walked around hitting people upside the head to knock some sense into him, with his cudgel. And the other was uh, Faltus. And the joke on Faltus is. Faltus is one of many gods in the world of Greyhawk, but he insists that he's the only god, and his zealous followers insist that he is the only god, and his his way is the only way. <laughs> and it was kind of a yeah. pastiche yeah, yeah. satire of the you know the the, the zealot. Um, yep. Whereas, as I guess, I guess the Cuthbert's followers are equally zealous, but they're a little more practical about. It. Yeah, I think it's interesting too. I'm mean, you you it off. It's stupid. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the other thing he did that Joe brought up is this idea of Rome, the empire subsuming or incorporating gods from other mm-hmm. cultures. And that would, that could be a really cool idea. And whether or not the players buy on if they're from the imperial culture in your game world or the, uh, the, um, I guess the client state culture in your game world and whether they buy into the, the new way we're going to look at this deity that my people have been worshiping for a long time or, or the old way. And that could lead to a lot of interesting stories and conflict. But I know um, Midgard, uh, Midgard by Cobalt Press, they like to do, they do that sort of, you know, different aspects of one particular deity, depending on the location on where they're at. So I think uh that's kind of what Rome almost did is, you know, they, you know, uh, Isis is also Aphrodite, right? But uh, mm-hmm. you call, you can call her Isis in, uh, in Egypt, but uh, in, you know, in Rome or when the Romans worship 
Isis, they worshipped it as uh, worshipped that deity as Aphrodite as an example, right? So, uh, but you know, that's um, that's pretty. That's very interesting, and in how how the real real world, uh, I guess, political entities will try to incorporate. Um, I mean, and even like uh, you know, when Constantine became you know declared Christianity for Rome, you know, so the Emperor Constantine's um, you know, same thing. He subsumed a, a popular religion, and of course, made it a state religion as opposed to like the various. And I guess that's that's when you had all these like kind of disparate sects that BJ mentioned uh, in the previous comment. Um, and now they're like, now we have one, and that's it. Yeah, <laughs> right? we've got no more Aryan, no more, to Aryan, no more a council yeah. of Nicaea to declare yeah. what is and is doctrine. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So um, that's a pretty interesting. So that that is, yeah. in and of itself, you could do, mirror something like that in your in yeah. your game world, where yeah. you know this empire comes in and says, okay, uh, it's great that you worship this deity and we love it. Uh, we're going to give money to your temple, but this is how you got to do it. Yeah. That's kind of cool. It's interesting. I think it's interesting. I don't know if you guys, I've, um, I've read a couple of books. I read, a, I read a book and took one of the audio classes you can get on audible from Bart Ehrman. Who's a, he's a religious scholar. He's, he's, a, he's a Bible scholar, but he's not, he's, he himself is not religious. He's an atheist, but he, he treats it as literature and historical and, and, and archeology span is kind of the, his approach to it. And he points out that um, uh, <laughs> that there were actually very relatively little persecution of Christians in Rome. Mm. Um, that that they were, the Romans were very tolerant of other people. Uh, as long as they didn't disrupt the public order, you could have whatever religion you wanted. And the the the, the times from the records he he could look at where these isolated pogroms against Christians would come out would be because they were refusing to contribute to the public ceremonies that the Romans believed is how Jupiter and Mars continued to favor Rome. And so, and so these would be like transcripts from a Roman, you know, official kind of interviewing these, these uh, Christians going, look, I don't care. Just, just make the donation. Just, just, just tell me you understand Caesar is divine. Wink, wink and get out of my office and it'll be okay. And of course, but at that point, these Christians were like, no, I want to be martyred like Christ. <laughs> kill me, kill me, kill me. And so, but then it, as, as the, the empire became Christianized, and, and it was in a vested interest in the Christian, you know, and now power to kind of promote this propaganda that they were widely persecuted against and widely they were thrown to the lions in the Colosseum. And, and it happened, but it didn't happen near as much as we kind of may, may think of it today. But I think that would be an interesting thing to draw on as well as kind of the, the politics of that in a you know you would probably want to you would want to use fictionalized religions but um yeah but uh, well, yeah I think the, the, as there's a, there's, there's a cultural shift going on and a, mm-hmm. an old religion is dying and a new religion or an old god is coming out of favor and a new god is rising to prominence well, we what saw this do? Uh, mm-hmm. sorry I, <laughs> what does that do to a society yeah. it'd be some good city-based adventures yeah, yeah, right. And we, you know, you saw this with the Normans, right? Where you, you know Charlemagne, or it wasn't Charlemagne, that was France. But, but anyway, the Normans switched to Christianity, and then the the sun went back to the old religion. You, you know, your, your Norse, and then it went back to Christianity and yeah. staying there. But the idea of that back and fro, and, and yeah, what does your cleric do when his religion's outlawed? Right. Yeah. Oh and yeah. It took them a long time. Like, like, skate, like Sweden was the last European country to Christianize. Um, 
and I think you saw some similar things in, in Eastern Europe with the Slavic culture, where there was this period of time where people practiced both Orthodox Christianity and their traditional Slavic, which is which is not identical but somewhat similar to Norse and Germanic. They just kind of coexist, um, mm-hmm. and I think you can see that a lot of places. And then recently colonized or, or um, you know, clients, you know, p- people who've, who've had a, another culture come in and start to, to overtake their own indigenous culture, they continue, but you see a mixture of, you can see that now in, in a lot of, uh, at least I know here in Oklahoma, a lot of uh, American Indian, you know, they're there be Christians, but they also continue to sometimes have uh, certain more traditional beliefs about you know, spirits and, 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 things like that that are more in line with their, their, their indigenous well, way of Yeah, Santeria things. too, right? Santeria down mm-hmm. here in, in South Texas in the Southwest and yeah. Latin cultures, right? And, but you, but I mean, you saw, I mean, that's how, that's how they got the religion to the people, right? I mean, the, so how, I mean, like, look at, look at the England and Ireland, right? And the early, early Christianity in those places where that's, you know, how they incorporated a lot of the, uh, the Celtic, gods and goddesses right into into that into the new christian religion and the, the yeah. festivals and all that right uh, and we still have holdover of that so you know it, that's kind of that's what religions do they like they they're not i guess they're they they more than we realize they morph and change to suit uh effectively the needs of the people one hopes the needs of the people right yeah um, well, well yeah and a great example of that and then but a great example look at iceland so iceland the from all accounts was very happy you know with the norse religion but for economic reasons they voted and all thing it was democratic process they voted to officially switch to christianity because of economic and trade reasons you, you know yeah. yeah so i think i read so a while back that we're, like st- the vast majority of people in iceland still believe in the um well, I guess what their version of a gnome would be the, the Tompty, the, <laughs> the little people. Yeah. Um, even though they otherwise might have a Christian view of, you know, God in heaven and <laughs> salvation and things like that. It's really fascinating to see how that. Uh, I'm sure I'm not an expert on Japan, but I, I'd be really interested to talk to somebody who's more about Japan about sort of the, the coexistence of Buddhism and Shinto. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, definitely. So we, we've got one more call here, if you guys want to take that. And, yeah. And this is from James Shaw of Subclass Act, who's currently, it's a solo actual play podcast, currently doing Traveler over there, season three. It's not, he's only about four episodes in, folks, so you can catch up really quickly. It's a really interesting podcast. But he's got some, he wants to talk about doing a shared kind of universe thing. So I'm going to play his call. It's James from Subclass Act. Uh, I've been really enjoying the episodes. I'm still in the middle of one, but I really enjoy the panel discussions. The shared universe thing is really cool to me. Uh, and, and the more I was thinking about it, um, it, it's, it strikes me that Runehammer has been talking about something like this recently because the index card RPG stuff, hard suits, all that stuff is all kind of in the same universe. Um, but even in, in one genre, he kind of has that where he talks about, like, if he has, like, a desert adventure, then the next one will be the opposite. It'll be, like, you know, a lush jungle or something like that. And sort of the different areas having the different um, kinds of fiction, kind of like you were talking about with uh, Pathfinder does that stuff. 
So I think there's cool ways you can do that. You can go everything from like slight different flavors all the way to totally different genres, different systems, whatever. Um, I think it's cool and I think it's very rad. <laughs> so that plus the sort of West Marches kind of thing you're talking about with people sliding in and out sounds really cool. Um, so anyways, yeah, thanks. Take care, y'all. Okay, yeah. And, you know, it's interesting because in the, the different games with ICRPG, the different realms he has, like Alfheim, which is the, the fantasy version of that, and Warp Show with sci-fi, there's always been ties between those. But in even second edition, there, you know, there are hints that there are ties between these different, you know, settings. But now it's become, come out more, it's more obvious as more, you know, setting materials published. And, you know, we, we go more in depth into it. But yeah, the idea of having a shared, which now this isn't new to Runehammer by any means. You, you saw this with Shadowrun, which fed back into um, what was the was it Earth's not Earth's Earth series, book series Earth Dawn because Earth Dawn was a previous iteration of that world. Right. Right? Can, can you speak yeah. to that, BJ? That, that well, I'm not as familiar, but I know the idea with Shadowrun was in Shadowrun is is Earth has a past history that's more magical high fantasy, and that and in in Shadowrun, what's happened is those old. I, I can't remember if it's like the genes that lie in humanity that from back when they intermingled with elves and yeah, yeah. Re reactivated and people are being born right. as orcs and elves and and it, it's right. It's like this in, in, like, the, in the modern era. There's like uh, I guess the ebbs and flows of magic and how it incorporates mm -hmm. into the world. So way back in the you know Earth Dawn days, it was a magical type universe, and then. Uh, and then now and then Shadowrun, the reawakening happened, right? That's what I call it, the reawakening, I guess, right? But well, they're um, different ages, right? Earth yeah, they're different like ages, the right? Age and Shadowrun and, and Champions does that too, right? There's there's ups and downs of, of when you be, become a superhero because that's mm -hmm. magic based or, you know, weird tech, you know, so you can make your super duper powered armor occur. Yeah. So there's, you know, waxes and wanes think, between science and, yeah. and, and fantasy, I guess. Right. Technology and magic go back and forth. It's a kind of neat, neat concept. Yeah, mm -hmm. Earthon. There was actually an adventure in the. Uh, yes, I played Earthon. Believe it or not, um, but um, there was an adventure where you can like at, you there you had adventure where you're trying to find relics from the original Earthon in the Shadowrun era. So you know, I think you, I think you actually there is even some like time travel, so you could go back right and, yeah. and do that, which is kind of cool. There's also, I think, um, I they they've clearly moved past it at this point. But I think initially there were sort of hints that Warhammer 40K was just the far-flung future of Warhammer Fantasy. And then they, they as they began to build yeah, yeah, for sure. lore, they moved away from that. But it's the our future as opposed to... Well, Age of Sigmar even makes that more clear because you have effectively space marines and... Stormcast, Stormcast, Stormcast Eternals. Yeah, Stormcast Eternals are effectively space marines. But, uh, or, but what, what chapter uh, are your Eternals? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, sorry, that's some 40k lingo and jargon for you folks. Uh, the other interesting thing, and the irony is that a great shared universe with multiple GMs would be Traveler, and that's what James is I think running. He would too, yeah, yeah, because you could, like, hey, you know, BJ, you, you run Soleimani Rim, hey, Carl, yeah. you run, you know, you run a uh, you know, Spinward Marches, hey, Jason, I know you're not familiar with Traveler, but just run a space opera type game in the classic game, make up your own satellite. world. And put it anywhere, and it's the the even even the small part of the classic travel universe is big enough that you could put it anywhere. And that's actually what James has done. I mean, it's it's it's. Yeah. I, I mean, I've, I've called into a show and I'm like, man, I know you're not doing 
classic traveler, but you are like throwing some Easter eggs in there inadvertently that harken back to some of the things that Mark Miller and others put into the, the traveler universe. So, so any, you know, you could do it wherever, right? You could do it even, yeah. Hey, if maybe we're not in the travel universe. We're in some far flung colony that never got incorporated into the Imperium. Right. So yeah. right? Well, well, you mentioned that you, do is you can create worlds with different because travel allows for worlds that still have medieval level of technology. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. I've always wanted to and, and my, you could, you could yeah. then impose some sort of Star Trek style prime directive where, Hey, yeah. you've got an objective, but when you visit this world, you have to, Limit yourself to the well, you know, the red zones, red zones and amber zones, right? Red yeah. zones and amber we're, zones for sure. Yeah, we have plenty of games out there actually, though, that where you don't have to have that prime director per se. But but Deadlands does this too, doesn't it, Carl? With with Hell on Earth and and it has the Norse setting, Deadlands Noir, doesn't it? Have the yeah, yeah, you, you do back. different timelines, right? Um, yeah, you could even yeah, you could even shoot, you could even throw, you know, if you like ETU and you want to be a, a bunch of Buffies and Slayers, you know, you could you could kind of meld noir and etu and in fact that's what the authors are kind of doing i feel like we did this uh emmy and i did this legacy set of games at chupacabracon and the, the authors were uh, play testing uh, a product and they don't mind us sharing it because they want us to share it but they're doing like a legacy thing where you're like uh etu 1888 which is deadlands ETU 1932 which is deadlands noir i mean you know what i mean so so they're they're kind of they wanting to incorporate that so that you can kind of go back and forth, you know, Hey, you could, you guys could travel to New Orleans for Deadlands Noir in your 1932 ETU, you know, field trip. Right. <laughs> so I think it's pretty, pretty cool. And people are thinking about that. I think that's, what's really neat. So, you know, it's this collective zeitgeist of, Hey, let's make this kind of share universe, shared world, different time, shared timeline even. Yeah. And you can jump back and forth. Yeah, you I guess shared timeline is kind of what we're looking at, right? Yeah, the, I, that I idea just got the, the errors. Uh, I'm sorry, I just got the newest uh, second issue of Carcass Crawler, which is the old school essential zine, and it has rules for energy weapons. Oh, um, Gamma World. So, 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 uh, you know, the previous one had rules for firearms, you know, black powder firearms. Mm -hmm. um, so, I, I think depending on which rule set, I mean, even there, like you could. Or white box, white box. You've got the conventional white box, which is just OD and D. But then they've done World War Two different versions of white box. You know, as long as those rule sets are compatible, you can. I think most rule sets maybe can't do everything, but there's a lot of flexibility in, in most most rule sets to where you could you could set up different time periods with different levels of technology and have them. Yeah, cross I mean, then over, you, whether it's then time travel, different planets, or yeah, Pathfinder. Yeah, get Norman Gavin Norman's talked about before he launched OSE, there was talk about doing a post apocalyptic, and, uh -huh. and I think yeah. that's still in the back burner somewhere. That yeah, he's probably he, working towards that. Yeah, it's, it'd be mutant OSE, MOSE, MOSE. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I don't, well, you know, like uh, like the Starship Warden stuff, right? They use a siege engine, um, mm -hmm. Castles and Crusade siege, and right, they they say, hey, you can. You can use siege here at Starship Warden, but then mm -hmm. it's like you don't know, right? If you're if you if you're a native to the Starship Warden, it's this, it's this kind of uh, sleeper. What's it called? Generational ship that's out that's been lost to mm -hmm. you know at any time to whatever timeline uh, it is. And then yeah. you can if you're a native, you would never know, right? So you use like a medieval set, but then you find weird technology. So there's always this, there's always been this kind of neat blending mm -hmm. of different 
um, technologies. I, I wonder Maybe with the new Pathfinder 2, which is what I was yeah. going to, uh, is that like the, the new Pathfinder 2 adventure path is like takes place. It, it, it looks, I mean, it's totally Deadlands. I mean, totally like guns and, and, and weird science and, and constructs. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm, I'm really, and I don't know because I'm not familiar, I'm just vaguely starting to get into Pathfinder 2 as a player. But what's do Pathfinder does Starfinder easily yes. compatible with either version of Pathfinder? Uh, yeah, kind of, sorta. But it is like the, it is like a shared timeline. Yeah. it is a shared timeline. Mm-hmm. So like because I, the planet blew up in ages past, and it's now um, and now you have a, only a station because the station mm-hmm. is called Absalom, right? That's the big the big giant water deep equivalent city in in yeah. Galarion. So. So yeah, it's a shared timeline, um, but it's vague. It's vague when it happened. We lost a lot of data and technology in years past, and there was some sort of cataclysm. Um, yeah, right. So, so you know, I, I kind of like Age of Sigmar the- too, right? Age, like Age of Sigmar, <laughs> some sort of cataclysm. Yeah. Well, I kind of wonder, you know, because you can always use the Pathfinder rules for a different setting. Yeah. Um, between that possibility and with the kind of the return of Spelljammer, oh, the big dog, mm. if we're, we might not see a little more zeitgeist of, you know, at some point we're going to go world hopping, whether that's traveling through space, traveling through portals, because I think if I'm looking at the way that they seem to be putting Spelljammer together, I think it's going to also be a backdoor into Planescape. They're going to kind of meld those two, the kind of the way they did in fourth edition. Um, huh. So it, it's like either, jump gates e- e- to the central either, nexus. Yeah, either either we, we we spell jam between worlds, or we find a way to get to sigil, either by sailing there on a spell jam or finding a hidden door, and then we can use sigil to kind of hop around the multiverse. But again, you know, D and D has its own implied default setting, but you can always strip out the setting and rename things and reskin things and. Yeah, um, but I kind of wonder if that's going to start entering kind of the popular zeitgeist for for, for fantasy role playing. And so let's go world hopping, you know, mm-hmm. by, by ship or by teleportation or by hopping, yeah, going, yeah. going through a going through a, a conjoined plane, you know, <laughs> through a portal. But uh, and that opens it up to the idea: of what if again, what what if a DM runs three different DMs run three different corners of this multiverse or this campaign? Yeah, you could. You could totally do that. Like one of the best kind of meldings of that I, I remember seeing, I, I didn't do it myself, but there's a three, 3.0, 3.5 game called the Dragon Star. Uh-huh. I don't know if you remember Dragon Star. And, and it was effectively D and it was effectively D and D in space before Starfinder became Pathfinder in space. Uh, and it's but it's unlike Spelljammer because you actually have like technology and sci-fi. But one of the best meldings I saw was when the Dragon Star people found Toril and invaded. The Forgotten Realms. So it's like the storyboard on End World a long time ago. This guy really he had a, he, yeah. he he was writing writing recaps right of, of what happened and he had you know uh, Forgotten Realms characters be like rebels in the brunt of this invasion by these powerful huh. technologically superior uh, but magic using creatures right that came from space. So that's so you could do all crazy crazy fun meldings like that so uh and thank i guess james has inspired us to think about this <laughs> well here's, here's what i just off the top of my head what if you ran blades in the dark and everybody's a member of a thieves guild but it's a thieves guild set in sigil 
And every heist or job is you've got to open a gate to to Orth or Kryn or <laughs> Faerun or someplace. And that's where the adventure takes place. But then the successful is not only to grab the MacGuffin or assassinate the enemy or whatever the case may be, but then you got to get back to the door and get back to Sigil where you're safe. Yeah, or erase. Like, a great one would be like you could do like Barrier Peaks, right? Like, oh, this kind of weird event happened. It's like you like this weird event happened and that's going to kind of bring the timeline and technology of, 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 of Greyhawk of Orc. And we got to send you there to neutralize that, right? You become like, it's like Min Delta, Silja Delta Green. Yeah. <laughs> well, the, the, the advantage of that is because it's a fantasy Sigil world. Sigil X-Files, right? Yeah. Yeah. The yeah. advantage of that over a real world time travel game is the paradoxes are, are easier to hand wave off. Yeah. Yeah. There's not, you know, one of the problems, are, and, and there's a whole nother episode uh, talking about time travel. But, you know, the issue oh, yeah. with a time travel game, with in, if we're using our history, real world history is it, it's so it's so hard to, you, you know, the ripples and the problems you'd cause and then riffing off that where using the fantasy world, it'd be a lot easier to do that time travel yeah. game. Yeah. You know, oh, yeah. Ramifications. But but I think that's maybe maybe we wait and talk. I think time travel is an episode one. But yeah, B, yeah BJ, you got to dust off your old planescape stuff. I kind of tracked down that box it. I did track down like the 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 uh, what's that one the Dark Sun box set. I got that. So, but uh, that's yeah. crazy second edition. I realize every time I look in the second edition, I realize how crazy it is. So, uh, the second edition was the edition of settings. Mm-hmm. The edition of what? I mean, it, it was the edition of settings. I mean, you kind of had going into second edition, you had kind of four variants on kind of right traditional fantasy, and then in second edition, they they. Just piled on. Yep. <laughs> okay. Yep. Well, I and I think maybe unless you guys have any closing thoughts, maybe we'll we'll cut it off there. Um, thank you for an, for helping me answer these calls. Really appreciate it. Yep. Thank you, callers. Thank you, Joe and yeah. and Colin. also thank you, Colin, for the enthusiasm and Colin. Yes, for the beep. Yep. So we, we will get Colin on it panel at some point right now yep we, we we're gonna work on that we we've he needs got to talk about his, his game yeah. system that's coming up his new game system or his new old game system right is that roll dice make some shit up roll some more dice yep <laughs> yeah <laughs> lots of ins and outs there but yeah, yeah. let's um we'll, we'll we'll cut it off here and we will catch everybody next week yep thank you for tuning in we really appreciate it if you want to participate you can leave us a message using the anchor app or go to our website leave a message you can send an email to cerebrivore at gmail.com you can comment on our youtube page you know if we'll you know if you ask a question somewhere we'll read it and you know try to get back to you on one of these bonus episodes and if you have are interested in joining us as a guest on a topic you know reach out and we can maybe work that out too so thank you so much And we'll talk to everybody later. Take care.